Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word GRADE to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun. And everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn-to-read program that kids love to use. Text GRADE to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text GRADE to 323232 right now and get started for just $1. Text GRADE to 323232 now. Text GRADE to 323232. Lucky Land Slots, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Today we've got Doug Thede from Litho. Doug, welcome. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, John, great to be here. Um, I am uh, currently the CEO of uh, Litho, which is a, a software company backed by a private equity firm. And uh, we've been growing nicely. And uh, we actually serve uh, really creative and brand teams with uh, some of their project management and digital asset management needs. You're not the founder or CEO. You, you ascended to the position at some point. That true? Correct. I, I, I joined Litho about two and a half years ago, uh, really um, April of 2020. So that was a uh, lot of fun time to uh, to join a company at a time when uh, there was a lot of things going on. So uh, it was very interesting, especially trying to, to meet people remotely and over Zoom. Um, so definitely a new experience. So, so you came into a new organization and couldn't shake hands or say hello or have an all hands? That's correct. I mean, wow. we, we we would have the virtual all hands, but uh, it, it definitely was a challenge. And uh, but, you know, candidly, I actually thought it was a little bit of an advantage because I did have to, uh, I got to have a lot of one on ones with people, you know, via Zoom. And uh, I pretty much talked to everybody in the company when I when I joined, especially because I wouldn't be seeing them in the hallways. And I wanted them to make sure they knew who I was on right. a personal basis. Right. No, that's uh, it's just interesting timing. Uh, yeah, God, God does have a sense of humor. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> well, so obviously we're talking about scaling. Um, I'm curious, how does Litho measure or track or count scale? Because different companies track different things. How do you how do you quantify it or define it? Well, you know, actually, when I was probably younger in my career, when I thought about scale, um, when, when a company would you know, talk about scale or I'd have a casual conversation. Typically, I would think about revenue and I would think about really the number of people in the organization, you know, and generally I would think about, hey, they're, they must be growing exponentially fast if we're talking about scale, right? And then I also would think about, oh, they're, they must be lucky, right? They must be in a hot industry right. that it's just, it's easy for them, right? Like, oh, like take the current times, take, you know, cybersecurity. Right. Oh, I'm in a cybersecurity firm. 
of course you're scaling because you're just you got those tailwinds and it makes it a lot easier right right but as i've gotten older right what i really think about from a scale perspective is i'm really looking at how much impact are we going to make um, with our customers really with our employees and obviously with our investors and other stakeholders but that's what i'm really uh focused on is that impact and so you know you, you asked a question about like how do we measure it right but yeah of, how do you of, measure of, impact that's a hard one uh indeed right and so um like obviously that the top line metrics of revenue there's so many different aspects of revenue that why you can actually achieve it or not achieve it that right. I tend to think that's just more, you know, down the line. I tend to look at more of the details. And so what I look at from like, look, we're a SaaS business. So retention obviously is a key factor uh, for us. Like are our customers staying with us just, right. you know, as a baseline, but more importantly, are they adopting it? And so when I think about scale, I think about, how how well penetrated are we into that customer, right? In the sense of how many users do they have? How often are they using, you know, our tools, right? But right. then I also look externally, and I'm and so obviously just looking at your customers is one thing, but what's going on outside your customer base, right? Are you getting any kind of share of the voice of the area that you're trying to to play in, right? And obviously I look at how many total customers that we're getting as well, um, but I, so I tend to look at some of the details as opposed to just looking at that, that top level aspect. I'm curious, is there, um, have you figured out metrics or diagnostics for when we create big impact where our turn rate goes down and, or our revenue goes up, or is it not that simple that impact and I'll, I'll pick gross revenue or net profit is in lockstep with the amount of impact we have? I mean, when, when I think about kind of our internal metrics, right? Obviously, I, I do look at the adoption rate within our customer base. Okay, so adoption but, rate is code for impact, or no? Uh, it, well, it is. But then what we actually do is, you know, the way that our tool is set up is, you know, one of the things we say kind of uh, internally is that we help our customers tame the chaos, and so they oh, basically we we help them, you know, the adage that we help them do more with less. Okay, and so we actually can go in and try to measure that. And so we look at kind of the speed at which projects are done. We look at basically the quality based upon the number of reviews, okay? Mm -hmm. And we actually look at how well they scale. And so um, it's really kind of our, our impact can, we can look to them to see whether or not we're actually having the impact that uh, we're trying to have. And that is basically to help them scale. Wow, it, it feels like it'd be a good, ecosystem then for team members your team members to play as well because it's not just about financial metrics it's definitely not just about financial metrics i mean one of the things that we talk about here and i'm not trying to you know be a shameless plug here but we're trying to help our customers create better content outcomes and That's so a, that was know, a fabulous shameless plug i right? love that that was a great shameless <laughs> plug but but in order <laughs> to do very that, well right we we, we, ha we have to measure and, yep. and they have to have confidence in the measurements um, as well. And so that's, you know, and you talked about, um, you know, some of the aspects uh, that we need to look at as well. We also just look at how well are we implementing our software? I mean, I'd like to say that, you know, you can click the button and our software is implemented, right? It, it takes a little bit of time and effort because there's some change management involved, sure. but it, it really getting the feedback from the customers as well when we basically get those positive comments like i can't imagine you know working without you guys 
Um, we actually even had one customer say, this is this goes to impact, say that I wish that there were a hundred vendors like like that. Like wow. Th- th- those are the comments that like, you know what? We're making an impact. You know what? We're scaling because we're hearing that more and more. So it's yeah, exciting. Yeah. That that's great. And so if I'm a if I'm a team member at Litho, I, I know you engage a specific way of leading uh, teams and individual performance, team performance. How, I know you have specific language for us. I, I, I think it's it's let people run, but explain how you do that. It's a it's a simple phrase, but it's not it doesn't feel like a bumper sticker. I know you've you've implemented this over time. Uh, absolutely. And, and you are correct. It, it is let people run. And candidly, it's something that I'm very passionate about. At the at the very high level, it's kind of the it's the anti-micromanagement uh, message. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so what we really look for um, in people, both kind of the existing um, you know, employees and team members, but but also people that we hire, it's it's really about finding people that are not afraid to take on responsibility. Okay. And so a key factor from let people run is is based in freedom, okay? But in order to make sure that we don't have everybody running off in every different, different direction because they're free, right? right? We have to make sure that they're aligned and focused. And so, you know, we do that through talking about individual kind of objectives and key results that's, that's out there today. But the underlying premise of it all is, do we have people that can actually take on responsibility um, for their actions? And, and not just... Um, oh, I made a mistake, I own up to it. But it's about, I'm taking responsibility for this particular initiative or project, and I'm going to run with it. And so that's kind of really where let people run comes from. And I'm, I'm just a firm believer that, I, look, I'm trying to make sure that everybody is getting the most out of themselves, because then selfishly, our customers get the most out of us, right? The company gets the most out of us. And so the whole aspect of let people run, I believe, gets the most out of people. Um, and candidly, they're happy. And so it's, it's, it's really been kind of amazing the journey that we've been on for the last, you know, two plus years when I came on board and really started talking about let people run. And there's been confusion candidly over it because part of it's been, okay, we'll just go do what you want, right? Right. To, I don't. I don't, how do I manage somebody in a let people run an environment? And so it, it takes time and effort uh, to do it. But what I try to remind people of, it, it goes back to really two key principles of freedom and responsibility. And so I, I'm a big believer in it. So if I have this right, they have the freedom to own a project or Absolutely. play on a team or volunteer for a team, but they also have the freedom to decline if they, if they don't feel like it's in their wheelhouse or they don't have enough bandwidth or capacity, or is that not part of it? I mean, it's actually interesting. I hadn't thought about kind of the decline aspect of it before, John, but I mean, essentially, yes. I mean, actually I was having a conversation earlier with somebody today about uh, they were concerned they didn't have the right skill set to help with a certain project. And I said, okay, let's talk about that. And let's talk about then how we can bridge the gap. And so it's, it's, it goes back to the responsibility piece. And so if someone just throws their hands up and says, I don't know what to do, then you're not really taking responsibility. Right. Responsibility is, I actually don't know what to do. I really need help. So how can we do this? 
right? right. And so it's 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 an ownership aspect of, of responsibility. Right. But yeah. if we determine that they're not the right person for it, yeah, absolutely. For sure. I love the idea though that there's the room to say this this could be above my pay grade in terms of skill set. I'm absolutely willing to help and play, but how do we, like you say, bridge the gap? Then they could actually partner with somebody and help and grow and learn without the full responsibility where they might not have the, the capability to do it. Um, absolutely. And I would basically, them willing, right? I'd still want them along for the ride because one of my other key principles is that I want people to grow. I mean, I try to get better every day. Right. And well, that's, that's what I talk about. That's fabulous. So you came in not only at an odd time, I mean, you're four weeks or three weeks into a pandemic. Um, you were probably high. I'm, I'm guessing you were, you were recruited and hired before the pandemic hit in full terror. But by the time you were there, everybody was locked down and uh, nobody was going to the groceries. I mean, everybody was scared. They were afraid of everything and there's no vaccine either. So you can't come to work. Um, so you brought let people run and responsibility with you right. and installed that as, if you will, the, the, the way to do it at, at Litho. I'm curious if you if you go back and redo it and it was there was no pandemic, do you think it would have been easier if you could have gotten everybody together um, or or uh, did the pandemic give you an unintended gift? Uh, I would say that I would. I would have perceived it to be easier if we all could have physically gotten into the same room, um, mainly because that's what we're all used to. Sure. And, uh, and you know, and, and we, we did have a lot of meetings um, in those early, early days, the summer of 2020, um, in order to kind of really help us redefine who we were as a company. Um, because candidly, when I had gone through and done those, those 80 conversations, um, I got a lot of divergent uh, views related to like what we actually stood for in terms of like just our business and and what we were trying to do with our customers. And so, the advantage of the COVID situation was I actually was forced, if you will, um, by myself, right? But but forced to take the time to go ahead and meet everybody, um, as opposed to. Oh, I will eventually meet them just by walking by. And right, saying, I saw them oh. all at the all hands. I shook their right. Yeah, I, I talked to them at the all hands. You know, right. And so, but be, be basically saying, I'm just going to be, you know, a voice, you know, on the on the Zoom screen every, you know, periodic basis. And I knew that was not going to be enough. Yep. And uh, and so there is there was definitely a plus associated with that that I did get to engage um, with the people one on one. And it, it, it is interesting because you could have done 12 or, or, or 20 people meetings on Zoom early on, but you're right, one-on-one, -on -one, if, if it forced your hand a little bit, you got depth by, by circumstance rather than, like you say, everybody would have said, yeah, we, are, we, met, the, we met the new guy. He came and met with our team or, or we, we, went, we, we went to the all hands and then his water cooler. Uh, do you like him? Yeah, he seems okay. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how he does. Instead of a uh, what, do a half hour one on one, they say, "Oh, yeah, I got, I, I actually got to spend time with him." Yeah, yeah, and I think that actually is is very important. And you know, like we're, we've been hiring, you know, obviously, and we're, and we've actually converted to full remote at this point in time. Yep. But we still, whenever somebody gets hired, I have conversations with them because I want them to know my philosophy, and candidly, I want to learn from them. 
And so there, there is an advantage that otherwise you could just easily kind of continue to do what you were doing, you know, pre-pandemic, if you will. Yep. And I think you missed out. You missed out on a lot of things. So is that an ingredient in let people run is that they have to have some sort of appetite for growth or learning or maybe curiosity or if it were a value, is that, uh, is that the, a key the, component? The, the short answer is yes. Right. Because it's, I, I think it, it does tie into both freedom and responsibility aspect mm -hmm. of let people run is that you, you do want to have to do something, right. You want to have to get better. And so, you know, even from a running perspective, right. I think some people, uh, focused in on that early on. And some people were scared. We, we had people leave the organization because I think they were afraid that somehow I was this, you know, this medical uh, slave driver that yeah. all I wanted to do was, you know, beat them into the ground, which is the so, exact opposite. So letting people run came with a cattle prod. Yeah. And so yeah, that's what they thought. It's, sure. But, but, the, but candidly, what I'm looking for is I, I want the internal cattle prod, right? I want right. The people to be driven to, to want to get better. And right. by doing it, they feel more value. And so, yeah, that, that curiosity is something that uh, I've found difficult to teach over the course of my career. And, you know, if anybody actually knows how to teach curiosity, I'd love to hear from them. It's, but um, it's something that I just find to be innate. It's an interesting value because if you go back to people who are curious, if you ask them or their parents, what were you like in second grade? They were the one that would ask why 11 times to the teacher and drive them a little nuts. And I've always wondered, is curiosity more innate than learned? You can certainly get better at it, but it's not, you know, especially if there's any fear, it's really difficult to then say, so I want to dig deeper on this because I don't understand if you're going, gosh, my job's on the line. It's not a, it's not a logical move. You just say, how do I, how do I dodge the bullet and stay? How, how do I hope they don't see me in the back and pick me to run this project? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it reminds me actually of a time reasonably early in my career, I was working in public accounting and I was being promoted to senior manager, which is like one step below partner. And I was being promoted a little bit early. And I remember the senior partner sat me down and he said, he said, Doug, um, your clients don't expect you to know everything. Okay. But you have a, a, a large resource here at this firm that you can tap into they do expect you to basically go and find the answer. Right. And what that did for me, oddly enough, is that it told me I don't have to know everything, which basically gives me the confidence to be even more curious. Because now I can ask the questions without fear of having somebody look at me and say, who's that idiot over there? Yeah, what? You don't right? know that? What? Right. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, especially now after... You know, many years in becoming a CEO, it could be, oh, the CEO is supposed to know everything, right? I'm the first to tell you, I don't know everything, right? That's why we have a lot of experts inside our company. You have software mm -hmm. developers and the product people and so forth. And I just love to ask questions so I continue to learn, yes. challenge myself as, as well as them, but more so I'm trying to grow everybody. So what you, you mentioned that um, when you first came on, the let people run was, I'm guessing it was, it was a big big shift culturally or organizationally than the organization you inherited it was it was uh it was catalytic enough that you had people leave right away yeah look we had um we had a very nice culture uh here and nice, like very, pleasant? it was it i would not consider it toxic it was not it was not it was polite got it it was polite, it was polite. 
Yeah. I was polite. And look, I'm all for polite, right? I'm for basically respecting people, but it was a question really about, was there a large enough responsibility vein running through the organization? Right. And that's what basically needed to be highlighted. And that's where some people got scared. Yeah. And, and some people left and okay, I'm okay with that. Right. right? Cause I'm trying to, again, come along for the ride. I, I mean, I invite you to, right. okay. Can't force you. Can't force anybody. Right. Um, not in today's day and age. And I don't even, I don't even want to, because I don't think you get the best use. So it was an invitation rather than a mandate. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, Absolutely. that's clever. You, you mentioned your early days as a public account, accountant, your background is more in financial. You're, you, you come from the CFO world or no. No, no, yeah, I started off as a financial auditor and okay. uh, moved into tax. Uh, I'm a CPA, you know, was a tax for 15 years, then moved into uh, the CFO role in kind of a jarring fashion. Um, some people left and they asked me to take over and I said, sure. Um, and uh, so I did that for a number of years. And then um, I jumped over into the PE world uh, back around 2015 and I've went over as a CFO and, you know, things happen and they asked me to be CEO and I was terrified. And, uh, but um, I had some people that basically were able to help me and coach me along. And um, I think that I remember, I think it was six or 12 months after I became the, the CEO of that company, a prior company. And, and I was visiting some partners and the, the CEO of the partner asked me, he's like, well, what's the biggest thing that surprised you? Um, upon becoming CEO. Yeah. And what I said was how much I enjoyed it. And because I felt like all the floodgates finally opened and I could learn from all these different areas. It was, it was an odd feeling, but. Was it a, had it been a secret ambition or not, or not so secret ambition, or was it just, you, you were on a specific skill and career track and CFO is a great position, but was it a, was it an aspiration? Not at all. Not I all. was I was very happy. Um, you know, to be honest with you, I was very happy being like a vice president of tax for a company. And then the CFO role came in. I'm like, yep, let's let's go toward that to have a good time. And when I was CFO, though, it became very comfortable to be the number two. Mm -hmm. right? Like it wasn't the one like the person in the chair, if you will. And right. it was very comforting. And so when um, when I moved into the PE world. It took some coaxing, coaxing actually, in order to get me in the chair. Yeah. But um, I'm very happy that I did because, uh, like I said, I I do enjoy it. Um, it's yeah. not it's not a it's not a power trip at all. Um, it's you know um, it's the exact opposite actually. I just love being able to see and think and help about all the different problems that can. Yeah, I, in the I I can't imagine a more useful place to exercise let people run than as the ceo because the all responsibilities really stops with you uh yeah i, mean, I think we all and i think we all know this john like the, in, in prior stops of being a cfo i tried to change some of the cultures that um i didn't think were aligned with kind of my personal beliefs mm -hmm. and it really it wasn't until i became the ceo that it really dawned on me to say oh 
this is one of the CEO's jobs. It's really one of the, the culture. One of the you, top you three that the CEO should do. You, yeah. you can't outsource it. You have to live it. No. It cannot be just words on a wall, like no. all those things. You yeah. have to basically live and breathe it. Yeah. And that's what actually probably make that feels the most good is being able to take some of your own personal beliefs and vision and really have it accepted across your organization. Yeah. Right? It's it's fun to watch. That's great. So you've been there two and a half years now as the right. CEO. Has has the let people run, is that a methodology, I'll call it, or that thought process, has it taken full root? Uh, I think it still has some more growing to do, to be honest yeah. with you. I will not declare victory on that. Like, oh, culture, check, done. Absolutely not. It. I know that culture is uh, can be a fragile thing. Sure. Um, and cause I've seen it actually unwind uh, as well. And so it's something that I continue to think about and focus on every day. And every day it continues to grow. And I do, you can see it in examples, right? You can see it how people act. You can see it how people do take ownership. And there's nothing better that when, when, I, when I see something, I'm like, oh, I didn't know that was going on. That's really cool. Like yeah. when things know, happen without you even knowing about it. Right. And it's not yeah. because I'm, you know, uh, an absentee, um, you know, CEO. Right. It's that they didn't feel necessary to come and improve something for me because they knew how I would act. They knew that, right. yeah, like go. And that's, that's actually, as, especially as a CEO, one of the challenges of what people run is you have to make sure that you've let, you've laid the road down for them to run on. Yeah. Because if they don't know where to run, it's going to be, it, the philosophy will be a complete disaster. They, they run amok. Yeah. Right. right. All, all with good intentions, by the way. Yeah, right. 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 But, but there's actually a slide I show that shows all these different highways, you know, intermixed amongst one another. And, you know, everyone's happy because they've, they've, they've created their own road, right. but you're getting, but you're getting nowhere. Right. Right. And right. so it's, it's not, it's not for the faint of heart, honestly. I can, I can imagine. Yeah, but it's it's we found it to be very valuable. Yeah, uh, that's great. So was there a was there a specific inflection point or event or episode where you said, ah, we've we're on a we're on a new trajectory now? I came in and things looked about like this, and now things have taken root, and and we're starting to go like this or like this. Was there an inflection point or an episode that was part I mean, of that? Look, what I would say is, I mean, again, like when I joined in, in April of uh, of twenty, there's obviously a lot going on in the world, and yeah. we were we weren't immune from the pain that uh, you know the economy and the pullbacks inflicted on companies, right? And there we were protests, uh, and it was all, all it was a big mess. Yeah, exactly. And and I I kind of mentioned this earlier is that one of the things that you know we did again if. If you want to go ahead and still let people run, which was something that I kind of, you know, brought into the organization, you do have to make sure that you're aligned. And, you know, when I had talked to all the different people in the organization, what I found was that there was some general consensus about what we were doing and what we were trying to do, but it wasn't um, concise enough. It didn't bring it together. And so we basically probably over the course of two plus months um, through various Zoom meetings, you know, with a dozen people on them, different managers and so forth of the group, we really kind of knocked it down to say, all right, who, who are we? And so basically borrowing from, you know, Hedgehog, right? We really wanted to say like, 
what are we really passionate about as an organization? You know, and candidly, the thing that kept coming, um, coming to me again and again and again was we really like to help people. Like, that's what we want to do. Okay. And then it's like, okay. You can do a lot worse at? than that. That's a great place right. to start. Right. Yeah. And so like, but what are we really good at? Right. And so we had created some software that was, you know, focused on particular elements in, in the marketing creative process. And so, yeah, we're, we're pretty good at that. Right. And it's like, what does the market want? And so when we, we merged all that stuff together, that's really where we came up with our, our North star to really, we want to help our customers create better content outcomes. And it's like, that's, that's our driving force. Okay. And you know, tr truth be told, um, takes a little bit of time for people to truly understand that. Sure. Um, and we also know that uh, the messenger can get uh, much more tired than the message um, right. the number of times you say it, but it really has kind of resonated and it's really helped us focus. Like we're helping creative and brand teams within marketing teams in order to basically get better content outcomes. Oh, that's great. And so once we essentially were able to focus on that, that particular North Star. Um, we basically were able to align ourselves to that from a messaging perspective, from a product perspective. And so um, it served us well so far. So it, it feels like that you came in and immediately assessed and then said, well, while we're not quite or fully aligned, you started that process and it took what, three, four months? Yeah, I mean, it was two, two plus months and then okay. obviously to, to kind of make the decision, but then it takes time to actually put it in place. Oh, absolutely. Did you also notice at that point that the the wait and see uh, people opted out at that point? Because they said, now that I know what we're doing, I don't think this is for me. Or it, they screamed at the door. I don't. It, I, I can't imagine it, it was that, but... I mean, it took a little bit of time, mainly because if you think about what was happening uh, in the world still, it wasn't the great resignation. It was no, the, it wasn't. It, 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 it didn't was start the that firings, way. Yeah. right? And yeah. so people were terrified um, about leaving. But, you know, following that, it was probably six to nine months. You saw some exits that basically yeah. they were like, okay, yeah, this isn't for me. Isn't like for said, me. And, right? and you didn't cool. take any offense to that. It, it's, you, you wish them well and yeah. I mean, look, I mean, every time someone leaves, a, part, a little part of me dies, but um, it's, uh, but no, I, it's the right thing for them. So that's fully support it, fully respect it. No, no bad feelings at all. So I'm, uh, let me shift directions a little bit. Um, I'm curious, uh, we hear success stories and whatnot, and that they're always inspirational. But when you listen sometimes to CEOs, they give you the, they give you the um, highlights without any setbacks. I'm curious, uh, maybe the biggest lesson learned in, in in attempting to scale or scaling or building an organization or having, in your case, having to pivot it, especially in a pandemic, but it could have been something from a long time ago. Do you have a, do you have a specific lesson that you learned and maybe the tuition you had to pay to get to learn that lesson? It's hard. <laughs> what's, okay, what's that? that's, that's the but, preface part. Oh, the, <laughs> It's the biggest lesson overall is that it's hard. Okay. And, uh, and if anyone you tells that, you, do you mean, do you mean it's harder than you thought or it's just hard? Like it's hard work every day, get up and get up and put your hard hat on. It's, yeah. I think it's just, it's hard. It takes effort, right? It doesn't just happen. Again, I go back to one of the first things I said about, 
you know, if you're in that hot industry, everything is easy. All you have to do is put your, you know, oars in the water and you're going, you know, a hundred miles an hour. Yep. Like even in those situations, of course, I haven't experienced that, but even in those situations, you still have to execute. Right. You do. Um, but, but it is hard. And so, but look, I mean, as a, as an example, um, especially from a scaling perspective, and I, and I've actually seen this a couple times over the course of my career and I participated in it. So I'll take some responsibility for sure. And that is you desperately want to grow. Okay. You, you, you're convinced there's a market. And so what you do is you go out and hire a bunch of people to meet the demand that is yet to found your doors. Okay. <laughs> and so, I mean, essentially you overhire, right? So you, you, talk over your, you talk yourself into a market that isn't there. Yeah. Well, at least not one that you've actually perfected and trying right. to capture. Right. And so, you know, then this happens a lot, especially in say sales, right? I mean, we're kind of an enterprise software company. And so yep. there's a lot of hand to hand combat from a sales perspective. And so you go out and you hire a bunch of salespeople and then you sit around and you go, where are the sales? Like, like I, I wanted to grow hundred percent. So I grew my sales force hundred percent. And it turns out, you know what? The business isn't there. Like whether or not it's marketing, your product, et cetera, you've essentially overextended yourself. You wasted a lot of money in the process, right? And then you have to go through the pain of actually downsizing, okay? Right. And so because because the sales reps aren't eating and so you can sit back and hope that they quit, that's a horrible uh, aspect of, you know, yeah. passive approach, right? But right. like, and so for me, again, having seen this a couple of times, like I've, I've joked about this is that when your sales rep actually starts to negotiate harder internally for why they should get paid in a certain deal, as opposed to going externally, yeah. You should take a look at your capacity yeah. in that area. And so, because uh, unfortunately I've seen it uh, before and it's, it's a lesson and, uh, you know, and it's and less than that. Intuition there. Yeah. A lot of, yeah. Yeah. Pain, right. The money and then just the whole process of training them and not having frustration and yeah. Yeah. You feel like a failure, right. You yeah. feel like a failure. And then, yeah. yeah. Yes. So that was pretty big. Yeah. So I'm curious where, I mean, by all accounts, everything in the news is uh, inflation, slower economy, and everybody's predicting some version of a slowdown. How do you approach that as a as a CEO? Is that a time to say, wow, finally, I can upgrade or recruit talent a little easier because people will be let go from other companies, or I might buy another company, or I may double down on this, or do you go into a foxhole more and say, this is a time for us to be a little more cautious and um, and make it through four or five quarters until we know um, things pick up. How, how do you approach that? I don't go into a foxhole. I'll you don't go you in that. the foxhole? I don't go in a foxhole. Okay. Um, I mean, look, we're in an area that our customers could be impacted. Um, we could see their budgets cut, which basically could flow through to us. And so what I really try to focus on, it goes back to, by definition of scaling, I'm trying to ever increase the impact that we're having. Okay. And so, I mean, you talked about, are there things that potentially could be opportunistic from the standpoint of, Hey, there's some people out there that can add to the organization that actually could help us run uh, even better. Like from an M&A perspective, sure. Right. I mean, part of my longer term strategy here is we've been, we've done one acquisition to add to our, um, add to our features and the value we bring to our customers. I am always on the lookout for that as well. And so, you know, the, the to, to the extent that there are opportunities that present themselves, this would be a great time. Yeah. Um, and so we're, 
we're in a situation candidly that is probably somewhat enviable, right? I mean, we're growing and basically we're self-sufficient. So we, we have some uh, avenues that we can take as opposed to having to go into the, the foxhole because candidly, companies should be looking at all the investments that they're making from a personnel perspective, from a program perspective all the time. And actually, I, and I know that that's happening kind of around the industries right now because yeah. everyone's concerned about a recession. You should be doing that anyway, because we also know that profits, you know, hide a lot of ills. And so if you keep yourself trim and fit, just like in life, right, you're going to be better off um, yeah. because you can take advantage of situations where other people have to slow down. So I'm looking to try to take advantage of those situations candidly. So you you mentioned you, you've got one acquisition done in the past and you're open to another one. Would you also be on the opposite end? Would you be open to being acquired if the right buyer came along? Look, we're we're owned by a PE company, so they can Oh, be, then you're for sale. I mean, yeah, we're for sale all the time. <laughs> you're, you're for um, sale. You haven't seen the right? for sale sign out front, but yeah, you're owned right? by a PE company. Yeah, no. you're, you're for sale. <laughs> right, but it's not something that uh, that drives me. I'm really trying to, yeah. again, continuing to grow the business and, and not just, I mean, the financial aspect is more of the tail that comes to all the efforts that you're putting in place. And so I'm just trying to add more value trying to get more and more happy customers um, in the door so we can help them that, that I know that we can help. No, that's great. That's great. I want to, I want to uh, finish with a fun question. We ask all our guests um, who who's the seventh grade version of you Ooh. that essentially was just shorter than you are today, but we could see, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Doug's been the same since seventh grade. Um, I, I should be curious to see what the other uh, guests respond on that. But uh, look, I mean, in, in junior high, seventh grade, I was just an average guy. Uh, you know, it wasn't, you know, you're just fitting popular, in. I wasn't the popular kid. Yeah, I mean, like, I just was average. I mean, but if I, if I fast forward slightly um, from there and I look at in high school, um, like I, when I was in junior high, even early in high school, I was a procrastinator. I basically would, try to find the, the shortcuts to get something done. And then basically- <laughs> next have, to the smart kid. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, that one of my best friends was a smart kid. Still is today. That's why, was that why he was your best right? friend? No, 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 no. <laughs> but, um, but in high school, I halfway through my junior year, um, I had to move from Michigan to Ohio. And so you kind of, your whole world gets turned upside down. And- it's a terrible time to move. I, I, I naively thought that I was just going to college, you know, a year and a half early. Um, little did I know that, no, it was like, it was horrible because yeah. I was trying to insert myself into, um, basically the, the social gathering of people that had known each other since they were toddlers. Right. And so right. what it taught me was I had basically have to work hard and I have to take responsibility for, for what I'm doing. And so I had to cut out the shortcuts, um, if you will. Oh. And, and so I, I actually had to do the work, uh, if you will. And, you know, it gives you the confidence to say, you know what, you can do it. And, um, and that key factor in my life that I know my parents were like, oh, I'm so sorry that you moved halfway through your junior year. I'm like, best thing that ever happened. Not at the moment, though. No, not at the moment. It was painful. Yeah, of course, it was painful. That's a really right? tough time to move. Right? Yeah, it was painful. But yeah. best thing that ever happened to me. And right. in candidly, and so if you if you change the question, the 11th grader, it's like, yeah, basically hard work, responsibility. Um, and that's what 
you know, helps me today. It's helped me uh, over the last 30 plus years to, to be where I am today and be able to enjoy, you know, let people run yeah. um, and enjoy Thanks. working here. Thanks so much for, uh, for joining us today. Really appreciate your insight and wisdom and uh, you know, whether it's from battle scars or from the, from metals, it all, it all works to help the audience. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. 